I think it's safe to say that modern America has totally embraced the hell out of female nudity in film. There are sections of the film going audience that pretty much will go see an American movie just in the hopes of catching some famous flesh. Today, as the second part of our two-part series on film nudity, we'll discuss the glory of the naked female body celebrated as well as exploited throughout the last century of film. We'll discuss everything from body doubles, nudity clauses, merkins, and even CGI here on Slums of Film History. This is Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is not normally discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. In each episode, each one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from bodily fluids to TNA to exploding heads. If there's a film subject that's too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Hello, Slate. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm great. Today, I'm excited. You look excited. I, sh- I am. We're You're discussing... about to say boobs so many I'm times. I'm going to talk about boobs and bush and everything else yeah. and butts. I like to talk about these things, too. I, so. Boobs are one of my favorite topics in films. And we're going to discuss it here, too. Yeah. So, uh, welcome. Today is the second part of our two-part series on nudity in film. We're discussing female nudity. In comparison to the first part, this one will be about 17 hours long because there's so much more female nudity (laughs) in film than male nudity, but try to condense it down. So we're going to just talk about the bare essentials. I know. Yeah, I know. That was bad. Well, let's start at the beginning because that's always the best place to start. You mentioned in your podcast that the, the first, at least recorded, nudity in general was the Edward Muybridge, Maybridge, Ed Muybridge, I, Muybridge yeah. films. We never and look up how to pronounce them. I know. But they're hard should. to find. Yeah. But anyway, so Muybridge, he did these experimental films. Again, he used the zoo praxiscope. The zoo praxiscope. Which takes a bunch of pictures and then puts them in order to, to simulate movement. It was the first example of uh, earliest type of movie camera, though not necessarily a real movie camera, but the closest they had. And he took a bunch of pictures. And of course, he did this with horses and animals, and he did this with people, as you mentioned. And of course, he loved, for some reason, to have all of his humans photographed nude. Mm-hmm. And so he did a lot of male nudity, but he also did female nudity as well. A lot of women moving around. They were totally naked, boobs and bush. Boobs and bush. Mm-hmm. Boobs and bush. And so. They did not understand shaving back then. No, they didn't. And that would kind of carry over into the 70s. We'll definitely talk about them. Yeah. But that was considered the first nudity ever recorded. And, of course, that was for science. So it wasn't really for showing people. It wasn't for entertainment. The first documented female nude scene, at least for entertainment, that I could find was called, uh, it was a French film, of course, and it was called Bedtime for the Bride or The Bridegroom's Dilemma. Mm. It's a silent French short film, and it's considered to be one of the first stag films. Mm-hmm. The film was first screened in Paris in 1896, and it was within the first year that Motion pictures were screened. So within the, a year that film was even invented, stag films. Was, yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, we got this new technology. Let's People get some. People were like, sex. This sex. Yeah. This, yeah. Do, go for it. Yeah. You know, and so, and they did. 
The film was produced by Eugene Pirou. I probably mm-hmm. said that all fucked up. Mm-hmm. And it was directed by Al- Albert Kishner under the pseudonym Lier. I don't know why that matters. And of course, all right, so I, I watched it. It's on the internet like everything else. Mm-hmm. We'll put um, it on the website. Yeah. And But one thing to note, it shows just this woman stripping and this guy's reading a newspaper. Curiously, the actual nude part is missing. It's gone. Oh really? It's uh yeah, it's a missing. So the, someone uh, cut it out of the film. It was a seven so minute film. to it, I bet. <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> seven seven minutes of film. The last it's only two minutes that survive, and so if you're looking for it on the internet and to see 120 year old boobs, you're shit out of luck because they are not there. Damn it! I know. Now moving on to that, I want to talk about porn as we always want to, just because that's relevant for here. But on that note, supposedly the first surviving hardcore pornographic movie was also a French film. Mm-hmm. Gotta love the French. It's from 1908. It's got a long-ass name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. But uh, the plot is pretty much like any porn movie now, which it's also on the Internet. If you type oldest French porn, you'll find it. So little hint for you listeners. But it starts out just a brief description. woman pleasures herself with a dildo. To a man and a woman walk in and they do like a normal threesome. It's just like any lame porno. So even back in the early 1900s, the stage was set for what porn would become for the next century. What did dildos look like back then? It was like attached to something. It looked kind of scary. It looked like something that you would use on like mental patients. Uh huh. It looks like something that you would not want to put in your vagina. Probably. Right. It looked horrible. Yeah. And frightening. Okay. But the rest of it was so, about standard. So porn, porn movies are the same. Dildos have come a long way. Yeah. yeah. Dildos have come a long way. Okay. So I only bring that up just because that's considered the first sex you know the first porn really yeah now what's interesting about those is that that's a silent film and like a lot of silent films it was lost because those were illegal right and so they were shown in bathhouses we mentioned that before and brothels and stuff like that but every time the police would raid these places and kick in the door and grab it they would destroy them on site so uh-huh. a lot of these are lost destroy them yeah they would yeah. <laughs> yeah quote unquote by putting they them would in destroy their them. horse and buggies and driving away yeah exactly so uh, unfortunately a lot of that stuff is lost right um, but that's this one was on the internet you can find this one yeah. so good you know all right history moving on from that talk about the first non-porn female nudity that was shown for a wide audience so we mentioned Moy Bridge that wasn't supposed to be for public release that was science yeah. but this one was for entertainment and it was a, a film a short film that starred a woman named Audrey Munson mm-hmm. and she was a model for when, pe- when people were doing sculptures she was like a go-to model for okay. that and so they, she was in this movie. It's a 1915 movie called Inspiration. And it's, you know, kind of meta because it's about a young sculptor who searches for the perfect model, you know, to inspire his work. He finds her and she's like, she's the perfect person. But then he, she wanders off. Mm-hmm. And so then he goes around the city or wherever to find to see if he can find her. And he sees all these statues and stuff. And so with Inspiration, I don't know how well it did in theaters or anything like that. I'm, I don't have a lot of info on that. And unfortunately, Inspiration is one of the lost films. It was one of the silent films that are gone for history. There's some sure. stills that show Audrey nude, mm-hmm. but it's lost forever. Audrey Munson, though, really a fascinating person. When I was researching this, there's a lot of shit that went on in this woman's life. For, well, for one, like I said, she was a sculpture model. Mm-hmm. Fi- about 15 statues in New York City are modeled after her. Really? Yeah, so you could probably wander around and see a statue that was modeled after this woman. Like generic statues? Or I, like I don't they know. I don't wanted to make more. a model of a of something and so they used her they used her and so she's the basis for some sculptures that you may see in the city even now yeah so she lived to be 105 years old oh wow what did she what was her body type was she a bit was she a bigger girl no she was fit from what i could tell it was this one still but it didn't she didn't look bigger as you see in like paintings or victorian paintings well the standards of beauty back then were different so she looked athletic okay athletic girl Uh uh-huh 
Other weird shit happened. Why she's fascinating. I mean, like a man killed his wife to be with her. Crazy shit happened to this lady. Wow. But again, you can wander around New York City and probably see a, an Audrey Munson statue. Hmm, maybe I'll do that. Yeah. So let's move on to the 20s. And you mentioned some of this. If you want to see good nudity in the 20s, you'd have to watch a stag film right, for the yeah. most part. And, of course, those were mostly aimed for heterosexual men. You mentioned blue films, mm-hmm. which are more for the homosexual market. But uh, a lot of the stag films were geared towards men, so they had a lot of female nudity, of course. I like how you looked um, at me when you said homosexual market. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, they're for you. I didn't say that. <laughs> Thank you reading into that. As far as that goes, you just told me, made me lose my place. No, Sorry. but it's okay. So stag films. Oh, one interesting thing about stag films you didn't mention, but I, th- I found and it was funny. Is that a lot of these stag films are being preserved at the Kinsey Institute. So there's yeah. still a bunch of stag films that are being like, or still exist because they've held on to them. I'm going to fascinating. Yeah. I'm going to do an episode on stag films. You I should. find them fascinating. Right. I, they are. But that's really the only way you could see some good nudity in, in the 20s for the most part. Uh, because Moving image. Moving yeah. image. Right. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And a lot of these are on YouTube, too. So if you want to see some really old stag films, help yourself, audience. Anyway, as for mainstream cinema, there was some nudity as well, but some not so much. I mean, there's some notable stuff like the 1927 feature Hula starring Clara Bow. Mm-hmm. You know Clara Bow? Yeah. Well, fun fact, Clara Bow, for those you who don't know, she was a, a popular actress at Very the time. Popular. Po- so popular that the character, the cartoon character of Betty Boop was modeled directly after her. Mm-hmm. So she, it was kind of a risque thing, of course, to have such a popular actress in a nude scene. And Hula, the beginning of it, she has naked swimming. Mm-hmm. And it shows her, she's laying on her back. You can kind of see that she's nude and she tries to pull this flower and it, she splashes around, and it's not so graphic, but you can tell she's naked. Uh-huh. And then at the very end, just, and this may go on my profanity podcast, she says, clearly says fuck at the end of this thing. She's I, like, oh, fuck. You and, told me that last night, and I think it's fascinating. It's amazing. Yeah. So, I, yeah, it's great. Another one of note in night from 1927 as well, not like a mainstream movie, is called Is Your Daughter Safe? I that that came up in my research as well, and I couldn't find it online. Did you watch it? I couldn't find it. I found one piece that supposedly is part of it, but all it showed was these two women frolicking as they do in nudist films, right. and they frolicked a lot, a lot of frolicking, and then they swam, right. which they do also in nudist films. And then but in this movie, they probably got VD. Uh, yeah, they got VD and died immediately. Yeah. See, so what is your daughter safe? Is is basically probably the first educational film ever made it warning be careful not to get stds and stuff and it cuts in medical footage of people with venereal diseases and things like that and footage of like warning people against vd white slavery which is a big thing i guess that they warn people about and of course mm-hmm. prostitution and so it but it cut in like weird nude scenes along with medical footage it's, it's a strange beast and i wish it was still around i couldn't find it yeah movies like that i mean i remember that they always talk about the first time that like a, a vag was shown is was mom and dad which was like a which was a documentary and it showed a baby being born uh-huh. and people like rushed to go see that and, and i'm sorry but watching a baby being born is disgusting <laughs> it's gross like, shit it that really is, is not if you get off on that, you, you have, have a problem. problem. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's pretty, that's sick. So, so Slate, you mentioned in your male nudity podcast, Hayes Code, mm-hmm. the infamous Hayes Code. My favorite thing to talk about. I know. It's great. Which is, the, the real name was the Motion Picture Production Code. It's nicknamed the Hayes Code because William H. Hayes, who was in charge of the MPPDA, which was the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America organization, now known as the MPAA, which is the Motion Picture Association of America, were the ones that put the Hayes Code in place, so they named it after him. Correct. 
and it just shut down all this nudity. You, you discuss it at great length, so I don't want to touch and on And violence on, and a, anti-patriotism. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, really, yeah it, really, it, it really limited filmmaking. And you also mentioned the 1915 Supreme Court case that said that movies weren't covered under free speech. Right. And that was a that was a big thing as well. And, of course, Hollywood was worried about the government stepping in and censoring their work, so they did it themselves. Also to note, you mentioned that religious groups were fighting against Hollywood because Hollywood was going hell in a handbasket, and it was just corrupting the morals of our society and all this other shit. One example is the Catholic Legion of Decency. Right, yeah. After the Hays Code was formed, they were formed to kind of keep a watchful eye to make sure they were conforming mm-hmm. to that stuff. And what's interesting is that they were pretty powerful back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, they could block a film from being shown just by whether they approved or disapproved of it. It was crazy shit. Yeah. So they had a lot of power and of course Hollywood had to concede that. Yeah. I mean you still see that now though. It's just a little not bit. as, it's kind of like anytime something happens, I use Madonna as the, my <laughs> reference because that's my reference for everything. <laughs> right. But it's like it's like Madonna do, did something shocking and then the and then the Catholic Church responds to it. Right. You know, so it's not as prevalent as it as it was back then, but I mean, that's still a thing. It is still a yeah. thing. Yeah, and it's, it's crazy. So, the first film affected by the Hayes Code, you mentioned Tarzan and his mate. Yep. And again, you can find that film online, actually. It was censored. The scene that was cut out specifically was the one where Jane was swimming naked. And you can see that online. We'll put it on the website. Yeah, you can see that online. And what's fascinating about that is that's a really well shot scene. It's beautiful. It's there's still camera underwater underneath footage it. Is she's gorgeous. swimming underwater. They're underwater for a long ass time. Well, and I was like, damn, that's she's a good swimmer. Well, it turns out it was a body, body double, double that yeah. doubled for Jane, and probably maybe I wonder if that's the first nude body double on film. It, I mean, it probably is. Uh, we'll talk more about body doubles as we go through this, but I think that may very well have been the first example of a mainstream big movie using a female body double. Right. And this, she, it's a gorgeous scene. It really is. Johnny Weissmuller, as we talked about, was a swimmer, so he was used to doing all of this stuff, and, and Jane wasn't. So And the body double was a swimmer. Yeah, she was yep. an Olympic swimmer as well, yep. and does a great job. Yep. It's really good. So, uh, just fun fact with that. And you also mentioned, okay, there's classic movies that come out of the Hayes Code, and the, you know, a lot of Hollywood kind of rebelled against it. They may not have shown nudity, but there's a lot of sexual innuendo. Yeah, I mean, in some that's of the what dialogue. they had to do in order to get right. in order to get anything, in order to have any topic of intrigue. You know, they right. had to kind of dance around it a little bit. So it was it was innovative. Yeah, it definitely was. And what another interesting point to talk about the Hayes Code before we kind of get back into nudity is that. It wasn't just the end-all, be-all of censorship. States had a, a say. Actual individual states had a say. So a movie that might have passed Hayes Code, say, freaking Alabama or Alaska, whoever the fuck, thought that this was an obscene movie, they could force it to get cut even more. So right. to, you'd see a different version of the same film depending on what state you saw it in. And that's one of the reasons why, why especially exploitation films of the 50s and 60s, are have 40 different AKA titles. Right. Yeah. Well, of course, the Hayes Code started falling apart around the late 40s. You mentioned uh, the 1948 Supreme Court case that said the five big studios couldn't have a monopoly on theaters. That opened up the theaters to see other films. Um, So some more foreign films started popping up. These films didn't fall under the Hayes Code, so they showed audiences more stuff than American movies would show. That was one of the first things, I think. Then you've got the 1952 case, I think it's Joseph Burstein versus Wilson. That's the U.S. Supreme Court that unanimously overruled the 1915 decision that motion pictures were covered under First Amendment. Mm-hmm. 
And then, of course, the 1957 Supreme Court decision that claimed that the nudist film Garden of Eden was not obscene, Mm -hmm. and so therefore showing nudity without sexual context was okay to show in films. Right. It's weird. It, no, Nowhere in the decision does it say that sexuality is obscene either. All they say is that nudity in itself is not obscene. And then I think filmmakers went on to kind of interpret that as they, as they will. Right. And I would say the Hayes Code in its way basically helped form sexploitation movies and exploitation mm-hmm. yeah, as we correct. know it. Because, again, there were people that were rebelling against that. But as soon as they found a crack, they jumped in. Yeah. So we're going to talk about nudie cuties and the rise of sexploitation next, which I know you love that stuff. I love it. Okay, so you mentioned nudist films in the 30s, and also you mentioned without sexual context, they could show these. They were mostly documentaries that showed the nudist lifestyle, and they were very pro-nudist lifestyle, and it was all frolicking, happy, and they learned to, to love the, to, to be nude at the very end. And it was usually wall-to-wall voiceover that explained to you why the film should not, why the film was appropriate for you to be watching. Right. And anybody who filmed their movies under that context were protected from censorship. If you can hide out, I would say hide out in that genre, then you were good. Theoretically, yeah. Um, One of the first people, of course, to exploit that was your pal, Russ Myers. Yeah. And he filmed some of his films under the nudist sub, you know, the nudist uh, genre, but they weren't. I think his first film... The Immoral Mr. Mr. Tease. And I know you want to talk about that a little bit. It was filmed under the guise of a nudist film, but it really didn't... It was the first one that didn't, like, promote the nudist lifestyle. Right. It Clearly, he made that... It had a plot. It had a plot, and he was using TNA to sell tickets. He wasn't trying to promote shit except TNA for tickets. Mm -hmm. And that pretty much helped people following in his footsteps, including your gal, Doris Wishman, which yep. we talk about her extensively in your Doris Wishman podcast, and also Herschel Gordon Lewis of Blood Fist. Blood Fist. <laughs> and, also Herschel Gordon, and also Herschel Gordon Lewis of Blood Feast fame. And, uh, of course, they, Scum of the Earth is a good example of that from 1963. It's cited amongst this genre. Uh, the Nudie Cuties, which are, were called that from nudist films because they had plots and didn't promote the nudist lifestyle. They were just showing TNA for the sake of TNA, started to drift towards the roughies. And you mentioned that where not only did it have the TNA, it had violence towards women. They smacked women around. They they smacked women around. And to where it was like the whole point of these movies, especially in the Doris Wishman movies where it's like, oh, she went down the street and got slapped around. She went back home and got slapped around. And then she got in her car and somehow got slapped around. Like that's the whole point of that. And then tits. Yeah. And then that started building us into the sexploitation genre. Fun fact during this time period that people might not know is that a young you know, future uh, Academy Award winning director, Mr. Francis Ford Coppola, started his career in the nudie comedy genre. He did two movies in 1962, Tonight for Sure and The Bellboy and the Playgirls. Really? Yeah, he, I think he wrote and directed. I don't know if he wrote and directed both, but he was involved in both of those things. Oh, so wow. yeah, hmm. yeah, early works of a uh, Mr. Uh, Coppola. Good for him. Fun fact. Another word on Russ Meyer, just because he is pretty fascinating, is that he did everything in his movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a writer, director, producer, editor. He acted. And so he was all over his movies and was a big 
force and where exploitation movies went in the 60s and 70s. I mean, he kind of led the way and everybody followed. Yeah, he's one of the big names. He's one yeah. of the big names. And sexploitation films, you know, they initially played in grindhouse theaters, which were also doubled as porn theaters. So you had when the hardcore porn movies would also share billing or they'd show porn here one week and then they'd show maybe a Russ Meyer film, depending on, you know, this is where these films ran. It was before any type of videotape or anything. And of course, religious groups who didn't have the power that they did anymore would still protest these films. They'd still say, oh, these are of their bad, and they would also try to paint the patrons who go to these movies as like dirty old men, sure, sure, in raincoats that masturbate in theaters, mm-hmm. which <laughs> probably some of them were. But a lot. I of mean, them that's just... what the theaters were. They, I mean, yeah. you went there to go sit by yourself and masturbate and maybe get a blowjob in the bathroom <laughs> by a tranny hooker. Yeah, exactly. And, oh, and by the mid '60s, some newspapers would ban like advertising for these movies, and there was this. Uh, there was a lot of backlash for sexploitation genre, but also movies that showed this type of material. Uh, and in, in it was theaters. the underground. It was people definitely didn't underground. Wanna, you, normal people did not go into an, an, an X-rated theater. Right. But an interesting thing that happened, and this happened in the 60s pretty much as soon as the, the Hays Code fell apart, um, was, okay, you've got your sexploitation, but you know it, it wasn't just B-movies that nudity started to creep back into. So you start seeing A-list movies and A-list actresses that are willing to go nude on film. Mm-hmm. One example was a 1963 movie, Promises, Promises. And that's a, where Jane Mansfield got nude. Mm-hmm. So you saw some Jane Mansfield boobs and some butt. You didn't see any Jane Mansfield bush. But, I mean, that's as nude as an A-list star got in the movies in 1963. Yeah. I love Jane Mansfield She's because great. I heard someone call her the poor man's um, Marilyn Monroe, and I thought that that was kind of amazing. Like, she was gorgeous, busty, but Marilyn Monroe was highbrow and she was lowbrow. Right. And then you've got uh, another example of a mainstream film that had a prominent nude scene was uh, the year after that, The Pawnbroker by Sidney Lumet. Mm-hmm. And that's 1964. That starred Rod Steiger. And it was it was released without a production code seal, which is kind of past what ratings were at the time. Right, sure. And, that was rare. Yeah. yeah, it was rare. And Allied Artists refused to cut the film and released it to theaters without the production key. Like, they said, cut this out. He said no. So they were like, okay, you don't get a production seal. So basically, it's like releasing a movie unrated today. Yep. The nudity resulted in a backlash from moral and religious groups. Of course, Catholic Legion were all over it, but they didn't have the pull they once did, so nobody really gave a shit right. you know, at that point. And I think that's really an interesting turn of events where they're just like, well, fuck they, it, we're going to do it anyway. And they didn't have legal protection at that point. Like, yeah. they couldn't... The, the government wasn't going to step in and say, no, right. you can't show titties on screen. Right. Yep. So... That's how they talk. That's how the government talks. They're like, no, you can't show titties on screen. <laughs> that's government speak. Yeah, exactly. That is, that's the official speak mm-hmm. of the government. Yeah. I pulled so, that quote. You did, directly. So in the midst of all this A-list movies being bold and showing nudity, mm-hmm. another first arrived. But nudity meaning boobs. Meaning TNA. boobs and some ass. Uh-huh. I think I know where this is okay. going. But then another first came out. Uh-huh. And that is in the 1966 film Blow Up, you saw the first shot of female Bush in a mainstream movie. Sometimes reality is the strangest fantasy of all. Blow Up is the most critically acclaimed film of the year and winner of two Academy Award nominations, including Best Director. Antonioni's camera never flinches at love without meaning, murder without guilt, at the 
dazzle and the madness of London today. You are an eyewitness to what's happening in a world where the beautiful and the bizarre take on new forms and hold new fascinations. It was really quick, yeah. but it was a big Just a freaking quick deal. Flash of bush, but it was there. So specifically, it was pubic hair. It was pubic you hair. Yeah, you female saw, pubic hair. You saw female pubes mm-hmm. and blow up the uh-huh. movie. So, okay. and obviously I just watched Blow Up recently. It was it was a flop, wasn't it? It was. I don't think it did. I don't very think well. it was good, but I don't think the critics liked it. It's only recently that it's been cons- it's considered to be a classic now. Yeah, yeah, and it's I mean it's got a Criterion release. It's yeah. considered a, a very influential. I think Brian De Palma loves it. I mean he's influenced by that as well yeah. as Hitchcock. But it's yeah it's 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 now considered a classic, mm-hmm. and it showed some Bush and Bush. So yeah, especially Bush. And another thing that happened around this time period was that the MPA developed the rating system is similar to what we know now which is it's got G, M for mature, but that became PG later. Right. R, and then, of course, X. Mm-hmm. And, and you talk about this more in NC-17. right? I'm going to say 60. Yeah, that's yep. about right, 68. So the old code, pictures that had the code, that was replaced by what we know as a rating system at this time. So at this point, looking at the 70s, clearly there was more female nudity than male nudity mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, it was getting more popular and more movies were including it, more mainstream movies were including it. Another thing that I want to point out in the 70s, though, and you mentioned this, but I also want to touch on it again because I think it's important, is that this was probably the the one time where pornography got as close to mainstream, I think, as it ever got. Sure, yeah. Uh, you mentioned Deep Throat, which was a big damn deal mm-hmm. when it came out. It was released Huge in major deal. theaters. I mean, to put it in perspective, okay, this movie, everybody knew what this movie was. A lot of people went to see it. And considering that Deep Throat was used as the nickname for the anonymous source that broke probably the biggest political scandal in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. That just shows how many people knew this film because, I mean, that's huge. When my parents speak about when Deep Throat came mm-hmm. out, they say that it was the biggest movie that has ever come out in the history of the world. It was <laughs> a thing that people their age went to go see. Right. You know, Jackie O went to go see Deep Throat in theaters. You know? I mean, it was a huge deal. And I think what filmmakers thought was that porn may very well be legitimate, maybe going forward could be shown in major theaters and there would be an actual mainstream audience for pornographic movies, X-rated movies. I would say the nadir of that or the peak and nadir of that occurred. Well, let me back that up and say they were kind of sort of right for a minute. For a hot second. For a hot second, other movies came out. You mentioned Devil and Miss Jones was a big a big thing, yep. and that was also a hit. A lot of these made money. I think it peaked and also declined when your favorite, Caligula, came mm-hmm. out. Yeah. For those who don't know, Caligula came out in 1980. It was a huge, big-budget period piece about Caligula Caesar. It starred Malcolm McDowell, Peter O'Toole, Helen Mirren. Mirren, And it was this big, gaudy production. It was hugely expensive. It was financed by the owner of Penthouse. Bob Cuccioni. And it was going to be the, it was going to combine all these elements. It was going to have, because he filmed hardcore porn. And so there's hardcore porn in this movie. There's orgy scenes. There's Full penetration porn, not with the a- not with not the, with the main actors. actors. They weren't involved they with were the porn, ins, but yeah. they were cut ins to the movie. And I think Bob Guccione had this big vision where this is going to be a big budget X rated film, and it will pave the way for adult cinema to come. They spoke of it first in whispers, then it took the media by storm. 
Bob Guccione and Penthouse Films International present Caligula. If only all Rome had just one neck. No treachery could equal his evil. No evil was more treacherous. The recreation of power gone mad in all its insane dimension. Caligula, the emperor who devoured Rome. Cruelty for cruelty, lust for lust. A film that tells the truth as no film ever dared. Malcolm McDowell, Teresa Ann Savoy, Helen Mirren, Peter O'Toole, John Gielgud. In the most controversial film ever made. Caligula, no rumor can match the reality. This movie fucking tanked. It was a flop. It was a major. It's awful too. It really is. Bad. It's a terrible, terrible movie. It's very. It's long. Yeah. It's stupid. It was written by Gore Vidal, and he took his name off of it because they butchered it to pieces. Right. The uh, the original cut they thought was too gay, um, <laughs> so they had to. Well, it's Gore Vidal. Well, it's yeah. like, what do you expect? You right. know. Um, and so they, you know, they they had to rewrite it a million times before yeah. they could finally, you know, shoot it. And Went way it's a over disaster. budget. Yeah, it, sets were really expensive. They built like some record-breaking sets for it. Yeah, over you know produced. It was yeah, it was a major fucking flop. It was terrible. Well, and then when they tried to screen the film, most theaters wouldn't play it because right. it was a hardcore porn theater. I mean, because it was a hardcore, um, you porn know, pornographic movie. movie. Yeah. So he made deals with theaters to be able to show it. He took it on the road. Basically. He took it on the road, right? Yeah. And that's not the way to make money. <laughs> no. No, and it didn't, and it f- flopped. And I would think that that is the heaven's gate of the porn industry. Basically, that's where, I mean, not that, porn industry, but where the mainstream uh, uh, appeal for porn probably crashed. It was also the Reagan years in the 80s. And, and that we was were getting more conservative po- It was again. a different political yeah. climate at the time. So, And I bring all that up because clearly there was a shit ton of female nudity throughout that movie. But it was just where porn and mainstream movies collided. It Th- that ended. That was the showgirls of the... Yes, yeah. it was indeed. So that whole Deep Throat era ended quite abruptly with Caligula. Yep. All right, I'm going to go back a little bit and talk about female nudity. I'm not talking about exploitation movies, but just young actresses that were getting into films and were being exploited through female nudity. Sure. They were expected to appear nude in films or in photo shoots to get a foot in the door. This was going on from the golden age of Hollywood, too. I mean, the casting, casting couch, couch. yeah. And the, here, come and show up and we'll take these pictures of you and so a lot of actresses have you know nude pictures that they took at the early part of their career and this has been going on from the the, the beginning of cinema there's even in the 50s and i'm going to play a clip of it where it's like uh, that basically warns women about going to hollywood to be an actress because they basically chew and spit you out which is true this is the story of one of those girls this is the story of sheila anderson two years ago sheila won a beauty contest The prize for winning the contest was a trip to Hollywood and a part in a motion picture. Hollywood, glamour, fame, and fortune. All this stared Sheila in the face. After seeing the picture, Sheila knew that she should go home and forget about acting. But like almost everyone else that comes to Hollywood, she stayed. After the first job, she began to get other jobs. She didn't realize much out of them because she had to spend most of what she made for clothes. But she worked quite a lot. 
mostly for photographers who did photographic illustrations for advertisements. She modeled for all kinds of pictures, just about everything you could think of. But after a few months, this work began to play out. The photographers wanted new faces and can get new faces without any trouble because there are so many girls in Hollywood looking for work. No sensible girl should be willing to waste her life on such a one-sided gamble. Some of the effects that occurred from that are the demand that females had more control over how their nudity was being used in films and having more control over their careers, so what they could and couldn't show. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. And so that's a good thing that, you know, these women have more control, but for the longest time they did not. And, of course, women featuring nudity in film were just, again, used and then spit out and tossed off, and they were you never saw them again. They were there for background, for boobs, just to right. to, to flesh out, as it were. Yeah. I know. I, I Yep. Yeah. A picture, and then they were gone. So things like nudity clauses came into effect because it helped protect actresses and things like that, body doubles, and I'll talk about that as well. But one thing going forward, so we've gotten in the 60s where nudity was, female nudity was legitimized in major motion pictures. Nudity also helped propel actresses to best actress nominations and awards. Mm -hmm. Much like when you mentioned male nudity that Michael Fassbender showed his schlong, not only did he bear his schlong, he bore his soul in a film. And I think a lot of that translated over in the movies with female nudity as well. A good example, and I think maybe the first example of a female actress who won an Oscar and showed nudity in a film was 1965's Darling Darling. It was Julie Christie. She won the Best Actress Academy Award in that film. She showed butt and boobs. And the movie was about a model who sleeps her way to the top in Hollywood that, and she went full on with the role and she was nude and she won the Oscar for that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Another example, actually, Jane Fonda showed some skin in the 1971 movie Clute. I remember I that. Yeah. I, yeah. And she won Best Actress for that. Uh, I'm not saying that it just was because she showed her tits. I'm saying. Right. She went all the way into the, in role, the role, including taking her clothes off. Right. It was a. It was an investment. It was an investment. Yeah. Jessica Lang won Best Actress for Blue Sky for a topless scene. You remember that movie? Yep. Juliette Binoche got naked with Ray Fiennes in the boring as fuck English patient. Oh, right, yeah. And she won for that. God, that that movie was boring Mm -hmm. as shit. Charlize Theron, I think, showed some skin in Monster. She was totally unrecognizable also. And she she won the Oscar for that. Uh, And she was naked in that. Kate Winslet, been nude in a bunch of movies and everything, so good for her. And she won for The Reader. Mm -hmm. She was nude in that. Very nude in that. Holly Hunter. Mm-hmm. Your favorite yeah, was piano. nude with your boy uh, Harvey, Harvey Keitel yeah. and the piano, and she won for that film. And fucking Gwyneth fucking Paltrow <laughs> won for Shakespeare in Love for showing her she fucking is, tits in that. That's a movie I've never seen. I've I, never seen I haven't either. Love. I haven't either. And I feel like I don't want to. I'm fine. I, you know, I, I've I can, managed I've been, to live through 35 years of life without seeing it. Yeah, I, I, I think I'll be okay. That. Yeah. Next, I want to talk about Holly Berry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an interesting point with her because she won the Oscar, first African-American to win a Best Actress Oscar, for her role with uh, Billy Bob Thornton in Monsters Ball. You know, I and, love that movie. And she was butt-ass naked yeah. in that. That was a that was a risque movie that one of the, that we also talked about on NC-17 that was uh, that almost got a, an NC-17 rating right. that uh, that they cut down to get an R rating. So 
probably because it was Oscar bait. Right. An interesting point about that, and Holly Berry's fascinating about that because she was in that movie butt naked, full on. But earlier on in that year, she was in the uh, cyber thriller Swordfish. I don't know if you remember yeah, that movie. I do. And there was a big controversy with that because they wanted her to show her tits in that or have some nude scenes. She refused to do it. But then, and she was, they were like, you know, we want you to do it. And so she said, pay me $500,000 more and I'll do it. And I mean, it, it's the most exploitive shot because she's reading a book. She shows her tits and it's really, it's pointless in that movie. If you see the movie right? and it's a mediocre movie, but um, it's got Holly Berry's tits in it. Yeah. And it, she just, for no reason, shows her tits mm-hmm. and got paid $500,000 to wow. show her tits. Come later in the year, you've got her slapping against Billy Bob Thornton's balls and monsters balls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And she probably got balls. she probably got paid scale for that movie. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, but it's an art movie. It's Oscar bait, and it paid off for. Her, yeah, you know, and so that's it's such a great example of both of those things where negotiating more money for exploitive nudity for uh, mainstream Hollywood stuff and Oscar bait movies, which is actresses are more willing to bear all in order to get you know Oscar recognition, and that paid off for Holly Berry. Huh. Now let's talk about uh, the downside of that a uh-huh. little bit. Yeah, okay. So nudity has killed a lot of careers too. Nudity has killed a lot of careers as well. Now let me give you an example here. Uh, the plus example, so we can discuss the negative. The plus example is so we'll talk about the proof positive. Sharon Stone in 1992's Basic Instinct. Mm-hmm. You know she plays a femme fatale. It's a great performance. I love the movie. Yeah, me too. Most memorable scene, and anybody who's seen it knows what this scene is, which is the infamous leg crossing scene where you see Sharon Stone's bush. She's Everyone knows this, but she's being interrogated by the police. She uncrosses her legs, and she's not wearing any underwear. She's not wearing any underwear. It's the, probably the most rewound scene. And if you saw it on video, you notice that scene was probably like all scrambly because people kept rewinding it yeah. and, and pre, when they rented it. It propelled her to fame. Oh yeah, she was a she was a B actress at best at that I time. I mean, she'd been in, yeah, she had been in Total Recall and mm-hmm. other movies that you know. She, that was so a Verhoeven was movie, though. Another so, Verhoeven yeah. movie. So she was you know a, a pretty actress that showed up in films, but this made her a star. Yeah. And throughout the rest of the '90s, she was in Scorsese films. She did. She made a lot of money. Some of the movies weren't so good. Pro- I think she got pigeonholed in the femme fatale type of sexual thing. Well, she did that to herself. And I she mean, did that to she herself. went right off of Basic Instinct into Sliver, which was a huge bomb, you know, and kind of played this, not the same role, but it was a role that only a certain type of actress would do at the time. It had a lot of nudity. It had a bathtub masturbation scene. Yeah. You know. Right. Again, Sharon Stone went from obscurity to movie star with Basic Instinct. A lot of other actresses and I think tried to follow suit. Two of the biggest ones that I'm going to talk about is one, Elizabeth Berkley and Showgirls, also by Paul Verhoeven. Mm Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Berkeley was on that TV show, Saved by the Bell, of course, so she wanted to change her good girl image by being in a provocative film. She unfortunately chose Showgirls, which is awful. I mean, it's kind of awesome, but it's awful. Mm. And she's kind of awful, but, but awesome in it. I mean, you got to look at it a certain kind of way. But she I mean, was totally we talk naked about it in NC-17. Yeah. I, I just it's I bad. it's terrible. It is bad. But she went full on nude. She totally committed to it. And it totally tanked her career. The whole thing. I mean, everything. She never really recovered from that. And then the other example that I want to use is, and forgive me, is your gal, Madonna, Mm -hmm. in the Basic Instinct ripoff, Body of Evidence. Mm I have a funny story about that. I've been a Madonna fan forever. And my sister 
took me to the movies to go see Aladdin. That's what we told my parents that uh, we were going to go see. And instead, she took me and snuck me in to go see Body of Evidence. And I think it was 93. Uh, I was only 13. And uh, that was the most amazing thing my sister's ever done for me. And then on the way home, she had seen Aladdin. She told me the whole plot of it just in case my parents asked, you know, so that we could right. lie to women, tell them we didn't go see base, uh, Body of Evidence. Nice. <laughs> you probably should have just gone and seen Aladdin because Body of Evidence is awful. I agree. It is <laughs> terrible. Although, I mean, when you're talking about the career of Elizabeth Berkeley saying that Showgirls ruined her career, nothing ruined Madonna's career. Well, Madonna's the, yeah, the and number I add one. To selling female artist of all time. Oh, I'm not talking... Uh, listen, yeah. Madonna always had music to go back it on. Didn't, it had nothing... It did nothing for Madonna except... It kind of... It was the first step in the the end of her movie career. The second one was swept away, which I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> she is but, an... A, she is... It's not that she gives a shit. She's <clears throat> making... I mean... And, yeah. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steer you away it from that because you'll talk about Madonna career. all fucking day. Yeah. And so we, we need to steer it away from that. It didn't help her movie career. She did go on to win Best Actress at the Golden Globes <laughs> for Evita, but whatever. <laughs> go on. All right. Yeah. We'll steer away from Madonna because we'll be up here for three hours talking about Madonna. Anyway, so Madonna and Elizabeth Berkeley certainly were the first actresses that tried to be an edgier material to boost a film career. Yeah. Um, my favorite example, and I love this, where someone who had a wholesome career that you know was trying to steer away from that <laughs> was none other than Julie Andrews. Julie, Julie Andrews. Uh-huh. For those of you who don't know, there's some Julie Andrews titties on screen. Miss Mary Poppins herself in 1980 in the film SOB, she shows her tits on on screen. It's a comedy, right? It's a comedy. It's a Blake Edwards comedy. I think mm-hmm. she was, were they married? I don't know if she's married to him or not, but it's yeah. a Blake Edwards comedy. So it's a very meta film because the plot is about a wholesome actress, you know, known for family films who's trying to change her image mm-hmm. and be in more provocative movies, which is what Julie Andrews was trying to do at the time. So the film builds up. It's like this musical, and then they decide to turn it to a softcore porn to get it more edgy. That's the plot of the movie. And, of course, the big scene is Julie Andrews rips her top off, and there's some Julie Andrews boobs right so there. have you scene. seen the movie? Or? I saw it years ago, and, I, of course, I looked it up online now. Did um, you see the titties? Uh, yep, titties. You can find. All I have to do is type in SOB. I'm going to look at them. Okay. I'm gonna pull them up. Okay. So, needless to say, no. I want to say something. Okay. I want to go. Okay. I'm looking it up. Okay. Oh. Okay. And her boobs, like Mary Poppins, are practically perfect in every way. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. I don't know. It's very unsettling, and really, you feel dirty, good. don't you? Like I'm. I. I don't feel good now. So I'm closing the window. Okay. So I just horrified Slate. The one-two punch, I talked about Madonna and then talked about Julie Andrews' tits. And now Slate's scared. So, but this actually helped Julie Andrews, at least at the time. She was trying to have an edgier image. And the year after SOB, she starred in Victor Victoria, which is the transgender movie. She was nominated, I believe, for an Oscar and that she didn't win, but it gave her a little bit of a dramatic edge. Yeah, sure. It it gave her a little bit more. It gave her a second wind. It didn't necessarily reshape her career, and she really didn't need it, but it did give her a little more dramatic edge. So she's my favorite example of somebody who changed their image because most people just don't know these days that she did that. Yeah. And now, if anybody who's listening to this, hopefully they're looking up. Don't Julie do Andrews. it. Don't look. <laughs> it's the, the titties are fine. Like, they're perfectly nice titties. It's just that she... I know. She, the hills were alive with the sound of music, not with the sound of titties. Like, it's just not... <laughs> yes. 
Okay, moving on. Practically perfect in every way. So these days, every Disney princess is, it seems like they age out of the Disney Channel shit. And those movies, they're trying to do something sort of edgy, sort sure. of like, what's her name from Spring Breakers? What was that? Although um, she didn't really show any nudity, but it, it, she was in a bikini. Um, oh God, Justin Bieber's girlfriend. We can pause it. Until Selena we, Gomez. There we go. Selena Gomez for, it was in Spring Breakers. You yep. know? So a lot of times you see this where uh, somebody who has a wholesome image, you know, is trying to break out of yeah, that. Miley Cyrus. Sure. Miley you know, Cyrus. I mean, yeah, exactly. So that's not, I mean, that's nothing new and that's going to keep going on. And at this point, there's so much fucking female nudity in movies. I mean, it's a staple, you know, it, it's, it's contractual. It's there. It's part sure. of the system and clearly more than male nudity. Looking at examples every, about every famous female actor you can think of has been nude in a movie at some point. They even have websites dedicated to the celebrity skin. I mean, if you want to look for this shit, you can find it. So there's just too many examples. Now that we're in such, you know, an established nudity, you know. It's mainstream. It's such a mainstream established thing. Certain peripheral things that a lot of people don't think about that go along with female nudity in film. Nudity clauses, as I mentioned before, I want to talk about that. Because, again, and in an effort to minimize exploitation, because a lot of these young actresses come to L.A. and they get exploited for their nudity. Um, nudity clauses are, are put in, and actually they're part of a Screen Actors Guild union basic agreement. They have nudity clauses that are in there. As an actress, if you're famous or if you have enough clout, you can actually manipulate that to say, oh, I'll, I'll show a certain amount of this boob. I'll show a, a half of an ass cheek. I'll show mm-hmm. one nipple. I'll show my vag or what pubes or whatever. So it can get that explicit now. Did you say my vag or what pubes? Let me say that again. Meaning the pubes. I show my vag or pubes. And some of these pubes because it's what pubes. I could show some pubes or not all of my pubes. Right. I know. I'm going to show a maximum of 32 pubes. I'm going to show 15% of my pubes. And and then I'll get $15,000 more if I show more than that. Basically, you can negotiate how much nudity you have. And that gives actresses a lot more clout. And it's a good thing. Uh, And actually, I have on here, which I find interesting, just a little bit of the SAG agreement. I wanted to read it out. It's section 43 of the basic SAG agreement concerning nudity. And A, the producer's uh, representative will notify the performer if there's going to be any nudity or sex acts in the film. They have to let them know ahead of time. Okay. So that's good. During any production involving nudity or sex scenes, the set shall be closed. So only the people that need to be there will be. It's not like, hey, everybody, everybody brought come my family in. here. Halle Berry's. So Halle Berry's bush is everywhere. Her, showing her pubes. So, yeah. yeah. Um, no still photography of nudity or sex acts are authorized producer unless mm-hmm. it's agreed upon by the performer. Right. The appearance of a performer in a nude or sex scene or the doubling of the performer in such a scene shall be conditioned upon his or her written consent. So they have to write consent to say I, that they are going to be performing nude in this. Mm-hmm. And then there's a subsection D is what I was talking about earlier that breaks down like how much nudity someone's willing to show. Uh-huh. And uh, it goes very detailed. The maximum amount, description of what the sex act will be, how much boob they show, you know, things like that. It's mm-hmm. really, really fascinating to me because I just find that interesting. So yep. you can really like haggle the shit out of that. And I just find that such an interesting thing in modern Hollywood that yeah. you can have this such a huge contract. I just like to be the lawyer, entertainment lawyer that was like, okay, we agreed to show 37% of pubes. Right. You know, that's great mm-hmm. to me. I just think that's wonderful. But I really think these things are important. I mean, if you think about it, because someone who produces a film, they're going to get nudity. And if they get their nudity and stuff like that, they get it and they get their profit. Uh-huh. But this affects an actor or actress's career 
beyond this one production. So, you know, it could be detrimental, like Elizabeth Berkley. It right. could be beneficial depending on if it's an Oscar type of film or it gets them more money or whatever. They're willing to bear more on the screen so it could help or hurt. But it's but like the film production give a fuck. Right. They want to make money and yeah. if nudity is proven to make money and so the actors are left with whatever career they have. So it's important for them to have control over that. And that and the good news is that that's part of the system. They expect that. Mainstream movies, especially SAG movies, know what to expect with nudity for the most part, right. especially with an established actress. Um, some other things I want to talk about, too, that that's fascinating to me is body doubles. As I mentioned with Tarzan, uh, the Olympic swimmer who doubled for Jane, the actress for, that played Jane, was probably the first body double. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, of course, a lot of movies that you've seen, and I didn't research this too much because that could be its own thing too, of body yeah. doubles, but a lot of actresses that you thought were naked had but body doubles, which are people that are similar body types but are look good naked. Yep. And so you, you might see an actress's face rolling around in bed, and then you see like some body doubles butt and things like that. I'm going to talk about that again when we get to CGI because it's a whole new era of body double, and I'll talk about that. But I want to talk about Merkins. <laughs> you know what a Merkin is, don't you? No. A mer- you don't really? No. Okay, so a Merkin is actually a pubic toupee. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. And I want to talk about that because a lot of movies use Merkins. Movies like period dramas that are taking place, especially in the 70s because everybody's fucking hairy. Right. And you have a modern actress who, you know, goes Brazilian in real life. Yeah. They slap on a Merkin right. to simulate, you know, Yeah, the, how their it hairy. was back then. They didn't they they did also, nothing. They also used them to cover actual genitalia from being seen because if you're all shaved you're going to see lips lips and yeah. things like that so sometimes merkins will cover that so mm-hmm. it's a it's a pube toupee yeah trying to find like more of the history and when merkins first started being used in cinema really hard to find uh-huh. i'm surprised somebody didn't you know do their dissertation on this i yeah. try to look it up but maybe you can do an, another episode maybe on. we can do the merkin episode but that leads me into cgi with the invention of cgi nudity is very interesting now and sticking with the merkin theme the first case of the cgi merkin happened mm-hmm. not too long ago sienna miller was in a, a movie called hippie hippie shake she was totally nude as a naked hippie she normally doesn't keep it quite bushy so when she was in a dance scene a scene where she's dancing around nude, they were like, well, hippie women were hairy. She and, needs more. And so they digitally inserted Bush. Uh-huh. So Interesting. it's a nice little, like, it's a nice... Digital uh, Bush. Digital mm-hmm. Bush. So yeah. it's like full circle, 1966. In Blow Up, you have the first actual Bush. Mm-hmm. And in 2000s, you have the first CGI bush. It all comes full circle. Uh-huh. Another CGI thing to note, this was a first on the film set of Machete. It was Jessica Alba. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought that was a nude scene. But what they did was they she wore a white bikini and they actually era- digitally erased it mm-hmm. and kind of made her look. I think she had just had a kid or something. I don't know. But uh-huh. they enhanced her a little bit. So they actually, her up a little bit. So she looked naked, mm-hmm. but... She actually. They, it wasn't really her it, parts. It, if you were masturbating to her, if you were masturbating to somebody just else's a, boobs, it wasn't even somebody else's boobs. It, it was just a. They just you were masturbating the, to digital boobs. You're, yeah, it was just digitally erased boobs. Yeah, which is an, to me an interesting point because then why don't you just fucking be naked? Yeah, because they can get so good with artistry that you look naked. Right. Why don't you just you be naked and they can just fix up the parts that you wanted right. fixed up? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't understand that, but that's another first. And then going to the body double scene again 
now that you can do digital body doubles where mm-hmm. you can put the head of somebody on a, on the body sure. of a, a, a good example of that, although not in a movie, was in the recent season of Game of Thrones. I don't know if you watched the show. I don't. But the actress Lena Headey, Headley, who plays Cersei, you don't know what I'm talking nope, about. nothing. But there's a scene where basically the, she's the queen or whatever, and she's being forced to walk down the street totally naked. Mm-hmm. And it shows the actress's head, but it's on a body double's body. And they do a good job CGIing it. Uh-huh. I, I didn't know it was about it. Yeah. And so it was this naked body double walked all the way down the, the street in the scene and then the actress wore like a white sort of sheer suit mm-hmm. and then they just juxtaposed they the two it, yeah. and they did a good job but that's just it's such an interesting point to me going forward because this is the future I think of nudity in film at least to some degree you're going to have actresses and, and Lena Headley let me back up I think had just had a child mm-hmm. and was probably not feeling that she's because she's been naked in films and movies before. It's right. not like this actress refused to do it. I think she just didn't feel comfortable doing it at this time because she didn't think her body was good to be photographed. And uh-huh. so they got a uh, body double to cover for that and then put her head on there. And it looked convincing, I think. You know, going forward, I mean, what's that going to be? You're going to have a lot of actresses that are like, yeah, I want to do a nude scene, but I don't want anybody to actually see me. So CGI right. it or just cut my head onto somebody else's body yeah, I mean, you know it's, it's, it's gonna be really, really and yeah. if they do it good enough then it's like right go just fucking put it be on naked somebody that's that's better that's perfect right yeah. then so I, I don't know what this means going forward but it's such a fascinating thing to me that mm-hmm. we've come a long way to how nudity is represented in movies i think it's a good thing there's there's more controlling though there's still there's a lot of exploitation still out there mm-hmm. and there's a lot of fucking examples so sorry there's gonna be more boobs out there than dick swinging yeah no, it's fine. But that's really pretty much it on this. And there's so much more material. Look it up yourselves out there because if you want to see female nudity in movies, I mean, you can trip and fall and find a shit ton of it. So, yeah. Did I miss anything? Well, you didn't mention my favorite female nude scene of all time, which is Kathy Bates in About Schmidt. I did not mention that. And there's a whole topic of what I call very brave nude scenes. Yeah. And that, it wasn't her first, actually. I think she was naked and covered in mud and at play in the fields of the lords. Oh, is shit, I forgot all about that. At, yeah. At, pl- at play in the fields of the lords. I think that's. I think she was in that naked She might have been. Well. I just love that scene. She just takes it off and she is Hops in the hot tub with Jack old Nicholson. and fat. And I loved that and scene. And did not I thought, give a fuck. Yeah, I thought that that was amazing. And, and that was one of my favorite examples just because she played it backwards. You know, it was like, you know, women that are like, oh, I'm beautiful. I spend all of this time and money on my body making it. She was just like, I'm the other way around. Right. I am fame. I'm famous because I'm a larger, older woman. And that's and that's my role in movies. And I, I just thought that was terrific. Again, that's this shows you the extent of the different types of nude scenes that are out there. I think of that one as being a very bold, brave one. But then you've got the horrifying nude scenes of like Schindler's List where everybody right. was stripped down and were forced to run around and yeah. see who was healthy and who wasn't. It's hor- It's awful. Right. It's horrifying. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, one of the things about Schindler's List was that movie was shown on TV. And it know? showed no cuts. No cuts, no commercials. Right. You know, so. So definitely. Different type. Yeah. Yeah. But it, and of course that didn't show male and female nudity mm-hmm. as well. But I think we pretty much covered the hell out of this topic. I think so. Good. Well, that was our first two-part series. I, yes. I think we did well. Yeah, I think yeah. so, too. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. And, of course, anything that you have to add to that, send us a little message on our website and uh, let us know what you think. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com, where you can find links to some of the movies we talked about today, as well as Bad Movie Monday, our recommendation for the worst of the worst films every Monday night. 
please, please, please fact check us. And if we left something out or got something wrong, let us know in the comments section of each week's topic. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies.